Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. Welcome back, everyone. This week, we are going to war. And by war, I mean the French-Indian War, also known as the Seven Years' War. Yep, one war, many names. This was a war that in many ways paved the path towards revolution. I'm going to talk about why it has so many names, the French call it something completely different, who was involved, and why it was the precursor to the American Revolution. Grab that cup, everyone. Let's do it. The French-Indian War, as we call it here in the United States, took place between 1754 and 1763. Despite its name, it was not a war fought between the French and the Indians. The war gets its name from who the colonists were fighting while participating in the Seven Years' War, as it's known across the pond. Though the war started primarily as a conflict between the British and the French, numerous countries would be dragged into the conflict, including Prussia and Spain, and it would cause an explosion of debt throughout major European countries. The war began over a land dispute and would ultimately lead to colonists seeing themselves as not subjects of the crown, but as Americans, leading to the fight for independence. Prior to the start of the French and Indian War, Britain-controlled territory mainly focused along the eastern seaboard with a western border along the Appalachian Mountains and extended from Maine through the area of Georgia. Seeking to expand landmass and area of influence beyond the 13 colonies under its purview, Britain wanted to push further west and sought out land in the Ohio River Valley. There was just one teeny tiny problem with this plan. The French had already claimed it as their own and had erected forts along the river's edge. The other minor issue at hand? While claimed by the French, there were those pesky natives again who lived within this territory and justifiably felt the land was rightfully theirs. Learning of the British attempts to expand westward, the French decided to send a military expedition throughout the area. Their goals were to reaffirm French allegiances, confirm tribal assistance in maintaining French claims to the land, discourage alliances with the British, and impress the natives with a show of French military might. It was during this expedition the French started building fortifications along the valley, firmly planting their presence. The border along the Ohio River was fuzzy and undefined, and the British decided to try and claim the territory for themselves, sending a small force with a young, unknown soldier by the name of George Washington to communicate to the French the land belonged to the British. The French, in response, explained in no uncertain terms they were going nowhere. Upon hearing his report, the Crown made Washington an officer and assigned him troops to fortify the territory and expel the French by force. Unfortunately, Washington was outnumbered and was unsuccessful in his mission, forcibly retreating and hastily building a fort for protection, aptly named Fort Necessity. And with that, war was on. While this was the fourth war fought within the North American colonies, it was the first war where colonists would take a primary role. Great Britain sent Redcoats, their military personnel, to lead the fight in the colonies, led by British commanders, a slight not unnoticed by the colonists also charged with fighting. While colonists were used to raising their own army, they would be forced to deal with outside and condescending career military officials from the Crown. With 45,000 troops fighting in North America during the war, the force was split evenly between the British and the American colonists. So where did the, quote, Indians come in? Both the French and British armies sought and received aid and assistance from different native tribes. 
the British, received support from the Iroquois Confederation Nation, Catawba, and Cherokee tribes, though the Iroquois initially maintained a stance of neutrality. On the other side, the French were aided by the Wabanaka Confederacy and six other tribes. The members of each tribe had a choice of who to support. The French, who, due to their lack of population density, were seen as friendlier and less imposing to surrounding tribesmen, also playing a role into their decision was how the French interacted with neighboring tribes. The French were more focused on their trading relationships and had an overall better relationship with their neighbors, building connections and marrying tribal members. The British, on the other hand, had been known to be excessive in their land grabs and brutal in their relationships. For many, the French were seen as the lesser of two evils. Initial British operations were met with failure. While they outnumbered the French, the Brits were not as organized. One of the worst defeats was in 1755, when the British commander Edward Braddock led 1,400 redcoats in an offensive to take the French fort Duquesne. Admittedly, I might not have said that right. Apologies. Despite warnings of the complexity of the river's edge, including warnings of losing the element of surprise due to the river's curves, Braddock proceeded on and was destroyed, losing almost a thousand men in the process. Braddock, shot during the battle, was carried away in retreat by the young George Washington and later died from his injuries. In 1758, William Pitt was selected as Secretary of State for Britain and given charge of the war effort. Pitt, hoping to maintain support within the colonies, promised the war would be paid for entirely by the Crown and not be pushed onto the territories themselves. It would take until 1759 for the British to land a decisive win against the French and gain much-needed support from tribal nations. The victory came from a battle in Quebec, leading the Iroquois nation to drop its position of neutrality and join the cause for the English. Due to the sheer size of the Iroquois Confederacy, the assistance they provided proved pivotal in Britain's success with the land war. Most of the fighting ended in America by 1760, when British and American troops successfully captured Montreal in August. Known as the Articles of Capitulation of Montreal, the agreement was signed by the governor of New France, the French name for their North American territory, and a major general for the British. While not an official peace treaty, the Articles provided for the ability of French residents to remain in the colonies should they desire, and transition French forts over to British control. The war officially ended and peace achieved with the signing of the Treaty of Paris on February 10, 1763. Under the terms of the treaty, France ceded Canada and all of its colonial territory. Everything east of the Mississippi went to the British, and everything west of the Mississippi went to Spain. Great Britain had succeeded in doubling the size of its colonial holdings in North America, but at what cost? As a result of the war, debt doubled and credit contracted. This led to a massive economic depression in Britain. Unable to fund suppressing outside tribal attacks, King George III issued a royal proclamation that no colonists could settle west of the Appalachian Mountains. Not only was that the primary reason for the war, but many colonists had already broken the proclamation and lived on the newly won but forbidden territory. The war also did nothing for tensions between the colonists and the members of the British Army. Colonists were pissed off with the raiding of farms and homes by the British troops and their aristocratic attitude towards the colonial army. And though William Pitt had made prior promises the war would not be paid for by anyone other than the Crown, this promise was quickly broken as Parliament passed the American Revenue Act in 1764. You may have read about it in your textbooks as the Sugar Act, and this was the first in a long line of taxes assessed on the colonies to pay for the war and defending of the new expansive borders. The Revenue Act was different in that it was the first time the colonial governments were bypassed in assessing taxes. 
Prior to the war, local governments were responsible for levying taxes, and Parliament dealt with the trade. Colonial governments did not have a seat in Parliament, and therefore found it inexcusable to be forced to pay taxes without proper representation. Hence that rallying cry, no taxation without representation, that would become so prevalent during the Revolution. The colonies, beginning to feel united for the first time, progressively repudiated the tax assessments. This fight led Britain to send in thousands of troops to enforce British law, which further enraged the colonists. The French, who referred to the Seven Years' War as the War of Conquest, would be fed a depressing military defeat, coupled with a massive debt from the cost of the engagement. This would deplete the French monarchy and lead to the French Revolution in 1789. But prior to their own revolution, the French would assist America in her quest for independence from the British, assisting the United States during the American Revolution. So while starting out as a dispute to increase British territory, the French and Indian War would serve as the jumping-off point to American identity and the war for independence. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Thank you.